Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome back to the Des Bishop Podcast. It's great to be back. It's Sunday evening, recording time. It will be Monday by the time you guys are listening to this. I'm sitting in my mother's place. Uh, waiting to head back into Manhattan to do a spot at the cellar tonight. Uh, but earlier today, I had a magnificent chat with Jenna Friedman, who I've known for quite a long time. Uh, we have a mutual friend, Jessica Delfino. That's how we met originally. And she was a former field producer on The Daily Show. She left when Jon Stewart left. And uh, immediately after that, she went to Edinburgh and did her show, American Cunt, which uh, was a great success, actually, very, very well reviewed. And that show is now about to come out uh, on online, a company called CISO, which I noticed was also doing Doug Stanhope's, Doug Stanhope's special. So hopefully that does well for her. Anyway, it was a bit of a small coincidence that, well, one, I saw a piece, a piece in the New York Times uh, with Jenna Friedman and Michelle Wolf about... Uh, I can't remember exactly what it was about, but I just remember thinking, oh, I need to talk to Jenna about Trump. And, oh, sorry, I remember it. It was about uh, Hillary Clinton and the gender cloud that's hanging over people's criticism of Hillary Clinton. So I thought, oh, um, Jenna would be a great person to chat to on the podcast because I had been meaning to chat about Trump and just hadn't really gotten around to it properly. Uh, and, uh, so that reminded me. And then when I messaged her to say, would you have an interest in having a chat for the podcast? She said, my new special's coming out. So that's perfect. So everybody was happy. Uh, not that this has been a real, like promote your wares podcast, but that is what happened. Anyway, I did want to talk to a female about Trump. I thought that would be uh, a good mix of opinions to discuss the week and a half that's in it in relation to Trump's behavior. So I'm sorry to our listeners that I left you guys hanging on what has been the massive issue of the last week and a half. But by the way, I'm making an assumption that it's just as big an issue in Ireland because I have been over here with my head right deep into CNN, MSNBC, and Fox News, uh, and even listening to the right-wing radio stations just to hear the sort of, you know, the, the locker room talk arguments. So it's been very interesting. Uh, anyway, without further ado, we start, as is most often the case, mid-chat with Jenna. Enjoy. This is Jenna Friedman. And then we shot a pilot for True TV that is, it's non-scripted, but it's kind of like, I don't know what I, sh like if I'm allowed to talk about it, but it's it's kind of like making fun of Vice. Oh, making fun of Vice. Yeah. Me and the other co-EP, we both have backgrounds as Daily Show Field producers, and we kind of wanted to do like the newer version of the Daily Show Field pieces. So we we shot the pilot, and we'll know in like a couple months if they pick it up. Did you ever see... Oh, 
why is the name gone out of my head? The thing that Julian Barrett did, which was kind of just a whole take on the shortage scene. Was oh, yeah. Nathan Barley. Nathan Barley. Yeah, that was really good. Is it, it's, is it Nathan Barley-esque? No. So it's actually like real world, real stories, but with kind of caricature correspondence. Like oh, hipster okay. correspondents who are just kind of like caricatures of... be funny if Vice is the people that pick it up. Well, that is actually <laughs> something I thought of. So we, we, we developed it with True TV, but we're like, if True, you know, maybe if True doesn't want it, maybe we can... The funny thing is we did a piece like on malls and the piece was like American malls, mauled. And the correspondent was really funny and it was like this like kind of fake dramatic piece about American malls. And then Vice actually did a piece about American malls oh, no that like came out last week and it was like not that far off from what we did. Well, I mean, I didn't think I talked about American malls, but I was I did have a thought recently when I was in one, which is. Where do they stand now? Yeah, they're dying, you know, because yeah, of like Amazon and everything. Yeah, so, and also just, yeah, they're not as uh, appealing a place to go to as they once were. I mean, I remember being really excited about going to the mall. Yeah. But I don't hear the average 16-year-old talking about going to the mall nowadays. Yeah. It's kind of like a an activity that's died. Yeah. So that's kind of like what the piece, you know, both the our piece and the vice pieces are about. But ours is like just... More of a joke. Yours is a sat. Theirs is like a serious thing about the death of the mall. Yeah, and ours is like our correspondent being like, just silly, but with real people. That, that my favorite thing and like why I like those Daily Show pieces is I like grounding things in the real world because it's they get adds like a I think a layer or like a level of like relevance to it. You know, mm. you're not just like doing parody or comedy. You're actually like talking to real people and exposing things and so it does kind of it feels like the hybrid of like journalism and comedy yeah that's what I, I like and when you so you did do like vox poppy type stuff like talking to people like man on the street yeah. things and in, in our pieces yeah we did five we we actually made five pieces for the pilot and they were like kind of one was like making fun of like the serial format a couple were making fun of vice we're like we're still trying to find our footing but um yeah, we, you know, we had man on the man on the street. No, but what I was curious about the man on the street stuff is when you're talking to the people, are you sort of looking for silly people to be? To no, use them to you never are. You never want. You always the comedy. Same with those Daily Show pieces. Like, you want people to be earnest. The I remember when I was producing at the Daily Show. Like the the most frustrating part would be like. Hey, talk to interview this doctor. He's like the funniest doctor at our clinic. And you're like, that guy's going to be the worst interview because it's like when somebody tries to be hammy or jokey, it just doesn't ever it doesn't work. Out. It doesn't work. Even if they are actually funny, you want them to be straight because like you control the comedy. The comedy comes from like your premise and like and like the correspondent yeah, and the contrast with the, you know, like if if like that Gavin McInnes piece, did you see that Daily Show thing about the women's soccer team? So Gavin McInnes is like this, you know, he's very misogynist. Gavin from Vice. Originally, yes. Yeah. Not no longer. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, Anthony yeah. For me, a network now. He so was we, on a um, a Daily Show. Yeah, I didn't see that. I mean, one. It doesn't matter, but I get the 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 way they used him is like they say this. You know, he says this outlandish thing. Yeah. And then some very straight fact-based person says a thing so even though yeah, yeah, the yeah. fact-based person is not being funny at all their information is actually like the punchline yeah so yeah i guess if you get some hammy guy then it kind of ruins it right yeah but but there's also a fear of being exploitative with those men on the street things sometimes well i mean when we were doing the daily show pieces we never took people out of context we never lied to them 
Um, and like we were in, I mean, people lost their jobs from being in some of my pieces. Like there was really, yeah, there was a guy who ran a voting precinct in North Carolina who like said the N word a bunch of times. And it was a piece about voter ID laws and whether they were like racist. Um, and our joke was that they weren't racist, but that they targeted all Democrats and he ran a voting precinct and he just was kind of comedically racist and we just let him talk. It was with Asif Manvi. It was actually like one of the most viewed daily show field pieces. But even like I think this year, just a couple months ago, a judge in North Carolina cited our piece when they decided that these laws were racist. They're like, you know, obviously it's really subtle and hard to parcel out like how racist they are. But like the sentiment is there as seen in this Daily Show field piece from last year with Don Yelton, blah, blah, blah. And that's when you're like, oh, this is why I do. This is why we make these pieces because they're kind of like tools to like understand an issue that people like how voter ID laws are oppressive or unconstitutional is very like wonky and nuanced. But if you can lay it out in a comedic way, then and like have like a four minute video to be like, well, you know, like voter fraud is statistically insignificant. But if you make everybody have a driver's license, you are shutting out 70,000 people in this one county right. from voting. You know, and it's like if you can lay it out in a comedic way, then people have a sense of it. Yeah, so, which is interesting because now Trump is using this concept of a rigged election. Yeah. I just, with that guy, you just, I mean, we. I guess we have to talk about him until, you know, November 8th because he's he is on the ballot. But um, I think a couple things, like, and everything that comes out of his mouth is false. You know, like he's, he's not somebody that we should even quote at this point or listen to, but we are in a position where we have we're to. Just, we're stuck with him, yeah. Yeah, and I think like I don't really have an answer, but I do think we need to find like new metrics for how to deal with like the next Trump. Like does the FCC, and this feels like very Brave New World-y, but like should the FCC um, censor people who are just like making bold-faced lies on TV like that is so much more mm. dangerous than somebody saying fuck or shit you know like somebody just like outright lying and uh, or just fine people for lying you know or like how do we kind of shut down that next Trump because it's really dangerous what he's saying and what he's been saying and it's the it's kind of funny in the sense of like the fact that the pussy comment had so much weight when you're like this guy for a year has been saying the most outlandish mm. bullshit how is this the one that resonates with you guys mexicans are rapists didn't resonate but like now he's going after like white married women like that's what resonates that's the thing yeah i mean th there's, there's many different areas of it but just to stay focused actually on the first thing you were talking about that it is dangerous and that there's consequences to that because now i saw the report the other day that second city performers have started to stop performing because people have been a lot more liberal with their racist heckling, uh, which what? Mirror, which mirrored something that happened after Brexit where hate crimes increased. They've stopped performing in general or stopped performing stopped political performing stuff? Second City. That's so... I want to read... I actually started... I should have actually read yeah. it in more detail, but it, it, just, it just... I thought of it when you were talking about that thing of should the FCC get involved? Because obviously you don't want to be accused of censorship. You know, and you don't want to be accused of saying that, you know, somebody doesn't have the right to say their feelings. But at the same time, you have a responsibility. Yeah. I mean, I after this election, free speech and democracy are things that I think are open to interpretation. Like <laughs> what good is a democracy if the populace is uneducated with Brexit? You know, like if they just ask people, do you know what the EU is? 
before they voted. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. how, you know, like a democracy is only as strong as like the people voting like and their intellect. So it's like, you know, I'm not, I guess, what is it like a technocracy or whatever? Like a, I'm, I'm maybe more of like, or a Hamiltonian democracy, which is a democracy where just like kind of and more educated people rule, but then that's also slippery slope. Then you're slope. into the masses or asses and that, yeah. I, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's tough, you know? I'm not a politician. It's tough being smart, Jenna. <laughs> um, the second city thing is interesting because I actually got into the comedy there in Chicago. Like, So here's the headline. Trump emboldened racist crowds feed an exodus at the second city in Chicago. At least four performers and three members of management have exited the famed institution within the last several days due to racist m remarks made by audiences who feel bolstered by Donald Trump's rhetoric, some involved parties said. That's I mean... in the Chicagoist. So that's interesting. It, all, it could be like sensationalist, like everything's clickbait mm. at this point. Yes. But I mean, Second City is a perfect example. People get drunk. Actually, my friend... Oh, God. I forget her name. She's uh, Asian-American, lives in L.A. now, was a Second City performer. And she, I remember years ago, she told me somebody at Second City came up to her after a show and was like, that was really funny for like an Asian person or something. Like, yeah. they've always been like that. I mean, Chicago's... Those crowds have always been like that. Well, they're just like more, they're predominantly white, they're parochial. Like, I started in Chicago. Um, the cool thing about doing comedy there was like, you could do stand-up in like an all like kind of conservative white crowd and all black crowd on the South side. You could go to like an all Latin crowd on the West side and an all lesbian crowd and all gay male crowd. Like the, it's a city of neighborhoods. Mm. So you could perform to every demographic pocket and you knew a joke worked when it worked separately in each neighborhood. And also the crowds were less PC because if I'm performing to an all black crowd and I do like a joke about, I remember I had a joke that was like, it, it happened. I got lost in the South side and, or, and then I kind of like wandered around and I remember seeing a tanning song and being like, Oh, thank God. You know, like, cause it's like, you know, when you see a tanning song, yeah. you're not in a bad neighborhood. Yeah. And I did that joke in the South side of Chicago and the audiences were like laughing before I got to the punchline. Cause like they knew and they felt comfortable and it wasn't like mean spirited. But then I remember doing that same joke in like a hipster room and people were like so uptight, yeah, but they were like all that. white, you know what I mean? So Chicago was a really cool place to start because you could also like, and I remember I used to do a lot of like AIDS jokes just cause I would like joke about what I was afraid of. And I had confidence in those jokes cause I was living in like boys town, which was like this all gay male neighborhood. And I would crash their like cabaret shows. They'd let me just do stand up for like mm. 80 old gay men. And I would like talk about my fear of HIV and AIDS and they loved it and they would like laugh. And so, you know, it's not mean spirited when like the crowd that's been most affected by it, like gets it and like is, it's like cathartic for them to laugh. And then I remember doing that show, that joke in front of like a fratty crowd and some or like maybe it was like a hipster crowd. And some kid was like, AIDS isn't funny. And I was like, how do you know I don't have it? And like it just like I was so confident in the jokes that I just was able to like, yeah. like shoot down any heckler. But that's what Chicago did. It gave you that kind of confidence for better or for worse. And then the second city crowds are like white, Midwestern. Largely it's like touristy, right? Largely touristy. So that is But I mean, anyway, I, but, I, but the thing is that it mirrors what happened after Brexit yeah. in the UK. I mean... An uptick in hate crimes. I saw some comedians commenting on that piece saying this happened in the UK also in comedy clubs. But I, I can't corroborate that. But definitely there has been a report of an increase in hate crimes, like quite a, a sizable rise in the UK. In the UK, yeah, no, I read that too. Because people feel this license that... Oh, so it's official. Our our truth is real. You yeah, know? and they can they can be out of the closet. 
Yeah, they, they, they feel so we have that here for sure. Yeah, that's I mean, I just went on a whole long tangent. But yeah, I agree with you. That's scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's I guess part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, he won. Donald Trump already won in a way in that way. He's he's emboldened like a whole kind of dark racist underbelly of America that we kind of ignored or like pretended didn't exist for like a couple decades. Mm. So on the flip side, uh, just the, the last week and a half and what's happened. I mean, there's so much to talk about with it. And I, I feel bad because now I'm sort of half using you to talk about it. Because all week, I know, but all week I was going to just like do it on my own on the podcast. Just like say all my feelings about it. And I just was a bit lazy. And then when, I, when we decided we would have this chat, I was like, well, I, I could just talk to Jenna about it. Yeah. Uh, but is it weird to start with the positive? Don't you think there's an odd positive about the fact that it's very out there and clear for people to see? the issues that women have to deal with? I think, yeah, no, that to me is like, I'm actually weirdly optimistic about that. Um, because so this whole year, I feel like with Hillary, when she was up against Bernie and I like her, you know, not even to do with politics. Like, you know, I, I, you like what she represents. I just, I like that she's a fighter, you know, and I, I and it is a so general, <laughs> But seriously, I mean, there's a generational thing where I do feel like women younger than me, kind of a lot of my friends were more pro Bernie for whatever reason. And I was just like, I don't even know, like what makes you unable to articulate why you don't like her is the same reason I'm not able to articulate why I do. I just like I liked her resolve, the fact that she's had, you know, so I I saw her as like a warrior. I mean, like maybe she's not as intuitive as other politicians or she's not as political or she kind of compromises and you know blah 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 all of her faults but that's what I liked about her um and I just remember kind of like biting my tongue all year when like especially versus Bernie when the gender stuff came up was everything okay yeah it's terrible that I have to look and then it always distracts people but no what's there's no problem. I just wanted to make sure the battery was okay. Oh, cool. Because I didn't replace the battery, so oh. it's getting lower, but it should be oh, fine. Oh, cool. But I didn't want you to be concerned about it. Oh, sorry. I know. <laughs> I forget that. Because um, it's just me and you. I don't have a producer. I, in, I don't have a producer in my ear from, from the window and saying And podcasts that. are so disarming. I'm like just talking to you and catching up because I haven't seen you in forever, but I also have a mic in my hand. Um, yeah, I know. But, we, but yeah, so, uh, well, I, I think... It's interesting because nobody can articulate why they don't like Hillary other than she's a cunt, right? Well, okay, so that what I was going to say though is um yes, I I've been biting my tongue about the the role of gender, especially dealing with my female feminist friends who are such big Bernie supporters, but then as this whole year went by and with all this Trump stuff, you're like it's fucking because of her gender. Like you can't deny that what she's going through right now that any male any male on the planet or in America running against Trump would not be having as hard of a time. It's not her policies. It is like the one distinguishing factor. I mean, it could also be gender and misogyny in conjunction with racism. But like, I don't think President Obama would have as hard of a time against Trump. Like, I, I really do think that it's uniquely because of her gender. And I said that in the show. It, like, I wrote a joke two weeks before we shot the special where I just finally like doubled down on like that thing. And I'm like, you know, and it's so hard to be like, how do you make it funny? Like, it's kind of she's a woman, <laughs> you know, like you can't yeah, just I mean, say I, that. I've, I've always thought that her gender has a lot to do with it. And I've never wanted to say it because I don't have the, well, first of all, you can't bloody argue. Like it just is, but how are you going to, how do you articulate it? Yeah, how you say, but like, he, d I mean, and the joke actually is about how almost beautiful it is that he, 
Like the joke is, is it's cheesy if I say the joke? I'd, I'd love you to say the joke. Comedians never do. Well, it's because it's like, you know, a lot of the jokes in the show are not the funniest things I've ever said, on, but I'm they're not, like pointed. I, yeah, but um, it, let's pretend that it just happened casually. No, but it, it is, it is right? Like, or I'm on, on a talk show where I pretend that it's a conversation, not like a pre-scripted. Um, but yeah, no, it's basically like, how do you gauge American misogyny? Um, you'd have to con- conduct a social experiment where you put Hillary up against the worst candidate known to mankind <laughs> and then see how she does and then you really get a sense of what percent of America would rather see like a, an, a human asteroid crash into our democracy than a woman lead it. I mean, that's basically the idea. But it, but like that's what this election has done. It's, it's shown he's literally the caricature of the worst candidate ever mm. and he's still like... The, the saddest thing to me will be any state that actually that he wins in is a state I won't ever want to go to. Like it's, it's sad, you know, like, and I actually have people, I have relatives, not close relatives, but I have like a one uncle, two uncles who right now they might be voting for her, but two months ago or three months ago, they were like, I'm never voting for her. And it like broke my heart. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the, the part of the problem is that because there's this sort of like, pan like pan western democracy thing where people are sick of the system right so it's very easy to just chuck hillary into that thing which is she represents the status quo and we're sick of it which then means you can hide from the reality that people have had problems with the type of politics hillary is engaged in for decades like it's always a, a thing that it's crooked, it's dishonest, you never really get to stick by your values, you have to flip-flop, like flip-flopping used to be the real criticism that people would say. People have always criticized that, but now when it comes to Hillary, this is, we can't take it anymore. So uh, unfortunately it gets lost in that thing of, well, the whole world is sick of that. So you can hide behind that. Yeah, and there are two interesting things going on now, and there's a New Yorker article that kind of mentioned this. It was one of the best things I've actually read about the election, of just kind of looking at the rise in technology and, and global warming and how governments uh, are, are just like losing their teeth and they're unable to protect us from catastrophic global like or catastrophic events like um, in terms of, you know, natural whatever disasters. And then also just like maybe politics and politics and, you know, the rise of the Internet, like they're just completely completely um uncompatible just the idea that like so much of what you know politics is is like behind closed doors wheeling and dealing and so much of what the internet is is like transparency and like open mm. borders and like um and so you have politician like i i mean that whole thing about like hillary killed like 50 people or something it's like all right like do what you have to do like <laughs> you know like i i'm kind of joking but at the same time it's like politics is dirty and and dark and you know not we we shouldn't necessarily know everything going on i think i know that makes me sound like no, a fascist well, well, no but no but what i well, well i'll tell you what i like about it regarding <laughs> people can make their judgments on whether you sound like a fascist. Like, am i a fascist <laughs> are you an east german <laughs> the east german system was actually quite good no but 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 what i do think is interesting and i i've been i've been saying it without knowing why i feel it that part of this discourse that we have at the moment is because of the internet. Yeah, of and course. I, it's not all good. No, I mean, like, I am all for transparency, but it has its limits, too, because it leaves, like, no room for nuance. And it's like, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, I, I think America, you know, our CIA is, 
pretty bad and we have a legacy of doing horrible, horrible things. And I would never like condone any of that. But at the same time, it's like Hillary does know how like countries run on a level that you and I don't. So like we can criticize it, but we also like we're not Venezuela right now. Do you know what I mean? And we're not Aleppo. And so it's like when my uncle was um, criticizing her and saying like we need change, I'm like, you live in a, like a beautiful city and have like a healthy family and a great business. Like, what are you talking? You know what I mean? Like you really want to disrupt the system and possibly give nuclear weapons to a crazy person. Like, you know what I mean? Like it yeah, could be, I, my point is it could be worse. Yeah. I mean, but I, I get people wanting change. I get people being sick of the system. The awareness of the corruption is, is at, is at a great level. So I, I'm with all that. You know, and I have problems with certain aspects of what Hillary represents. But on the flip side, to suggest that Donald Trump is the solution is crazy. It's crazy. And I Bernie, agree with you, too. I like the argument between Bernie and, and Hillary. I, I, that's a genuine, genuine ideological divide that you debate and everybody grows. And Bernie's a politician. When it was all said and done, he was aggrieved. But at the end of the day, he's supporting Hillary now. He feels that. Yeah. And he, know, and he, he believes he, in progress. Yeah. And it's like that incremental. Pro like, I, I remember, like, the whole thing about, like, kids being being able to like have free college and I'm like yeah I think that would be great but I also think like if it's between like able-bodied 20 year olds like getting free college versus like free pre-k for all little kids so that their parents can actually work like I would you know again it's like nuance like I don't know if like free college is like our number one priority as much as it is like giving infrastructure to people who have like little kids that that are like nickel and diming and can't even like survive you know what I mean like I I so that was like this moment where I was like questioning how liberal I was you know what I mean I'm like what do you learn in college like just go to lock yourself in a library you know what I mean <laughs> but I but like I I you know so many of my friends have like college debt you know and like that is like the one of the biggest problems of my generation it's like how do we go to school when you just like leave with fifty thousand dollars of debt or more? You know. Yeah. Well, how do you? Yeah. Well, I mean, the regulation of the American third level institutions needs to happen. It, yeah. It's crazy. But it's all it's all crazy. You know, like health insurance being tied to employment. Like it's all crazy. You yeah, know. America sucks. I know. But that's a that's, that's a, a whole separate thing. But it is like it was really cool to have those to see the, them have those conversations. Yeah, but that's what the, that's what the debate between Trump and Hillary should be like in terms of some sort of center right divide i mean there's no left yeah right. no she's a republican for sure you yeah. know like but the the trump thing i i almost can't even give him more water because it or wait wait because it is he's so unhinged yeah that let's just hope we get through this so so just in terms of what i thought was the odd positive about the grab them by the pussy stuff yeah is, not odd positive i agree yeah, with you uh is well even for example on this podcast throughout this few months that i've been doing it i've i've asked a number of people to like how do you best uh start to articulate you know what men should understand and you know like around consent and just all these different issues that are tough even for me like i haven't figured it out and i get challenged by a lot of them too actually sometimes i even get defensive but the, what I thought was great about Trump, the Trump thing was it was like, OK, so that is clear now. Mm -hmm. That is very clear that if you thought this stuff was OK before, it's really not. Mm -hmm. And when you see it, see, sometimes it's hard unless you see it. You, mm -hmm. you don't hear yourself saying things, mm -hmm. you know, but when you see it and you go, you know, grab him by the pussy and have a laugh. And then you walk out of the thing and it's like, hey, give Donald a hug. And then you go, oh, fuck, it's disgusting. Like, I've not, I, I, I don't say stuff like that, but like. 
I, I guarantee you it wouldn't have bothered me as much 10 years ago. I know. I've, I mean, for me too, like my, when I was in college, like I had so many friends who were technically date raped, but we didn't even, you didn't even think about it. You're like, just like, oh, like another, like, it's not that we didn't think about it. We totally thought about it. And actually I tried to even be like an activist and like, work. I had a friend who just like literally had, had a really bad situation and we went to this university and we're like, it's not like all the guys, but there are like serial predators. Can we like, if, if they do, can you just like talk to the frats and say that like, you have like a database where if somebody fucks or like if somebody rapes somebody, you're going to put their name in a database. And like, if they get like three strikes and you call them in for counseling, like it was so innocuous. And they were like, that is a violation of their privacy. So yeah. we're not going to do that. And you're like, rape is a violation, you know? So like, that conversation has shifted so much in the past decade that like there is like it is changing and it's and it's cool to see it changing but also like coming up in comedy and like going to like the comedy clubs and like the way that you know even i i feel like it's changing too but like the way that men talked about women and the way that like well uh, i did see a change at a gig i won't say where but last weekend so it was the weekend after the thing uh a comedian was trying to get this girl on stage to twerk now like in the comedian's defense, there was a context to how this arisen. It wasn't just like, hey, you get up and twerk. You know, there was a, an interaction back and forth, blah, blah, blah. And eventually it came to this challenge of get up and twerk. And watching it, I thought, well, this is interesting. I immediately thought this is interesting because the, the last two days of the, the way the media has portrayed this thing, I'm curious to see if anything. And lo and behold, within 60 seconds, a woman shouted from further back in the crowd, don't do it. And I was like, that definitely wouldn't have, I feel like that was like a thing that changed yeah. immediately. Yeah. Like, don't do it. Don't let this man intimidate you into getting up and belittling yourself on stage by twerking. I mean, it is changing in a really cool way. And yeah, we, and like the thing I mentioned just about kissing, what it is like when you walk, I remember like when I was first doing improv and like studying it for this paper, I just remember like we were encouraged to be like strong on stage and like, uh, like, feminist and strong but then you're also being objectified off stage you're like i i was like an intern at improv olympic and like i remember like having like so many random little situations where like the guys would like call me into the back and like be like hey can we like feel your muscles as i was like as i was carrying cases of beer and stuff and like i remember like i it was on the top of my mind because I was, I was literally writing about it but it was just like i think that even just like actually somebody wrote about sexual harassment at that same improv theater this year, last year in Jezebel. And it's like the fact that people are talking about all these kind of subtle, that that's a thing. It's not just like overt sexism. It's all the subtle stuff that we're, we're finally starting to talk about. And that to me is like the victory of like the Trump pussy stuff, because it's like we do need to bring it all to the surface with racism and sexism and all of it before we can like, we're like right now going through growing pains. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Having the conversations is like the first way to like exploding like the, you know, the kind of subtle sexism and the misogyny in places and stuff. And so yeah, well, most women comics I know will say that they're afraid to talk about feminism stage because they'll get judged for being that for a decade. I, I didn't talk about it, you know, for like a decade. I didn't say the word vagina on stage. And then this show I did like double down and I just was like. And the show came from the title. I wrote the title before the show. Yeah, so the, sh- the title is called American Cunt. But it was basically for a British audience and like a UK audience where cunt is a totally innocuous term of endearment. Oh, yeah. So this show, when you when you said American cunt, that was actually for the Edinburgh show. Yeah. You titled it for the Edinburgh show. Yeah. Okay. So then, it's not as subversive there, the title. Like it's not it's not as uh, outlandish a title as it is in the United States. No, it was just like, well, you know, I'm going over to the UK. I have some cunty jokes. Like if I call my show American cunt, like A, I'm getting the audience that I want in there. Yeah. I'm not getting people who are going to be offended. And B, yeah, it gives you license to say whatever you want. If you call the show something so harsh, yes, you can say, and actually the show itself is not harsh. It's not, it's like not lewd or really sexual. It's just kind of, it's more political. The goal was like to do an outward show, like not about me. But I remember, so uh, CISO actually put out a tweet that was like, uh, one of the like log lines for the show is kind of like a probing analysis of the U.S. body politic and a couple dick jokes or something dumb. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I don't really have any dick jokes in the show, but um, somebody actually wrote back like a typical female comic women talking about. And I actually, and I know you're not supposed to respond to that, but I just wrote back. I was like, just see it because actually the show isn't, it's not like, I don't think, I mean like, when I first started stand up, I was like, don't talk about boyfriends and vaginas on stage because like everybody talks about that. But this show isn't from, from my perspective. It's not that. You know what I mean? It's it's talk, it's political. It's talking about politics. But like from a from that lens, it's not like boyfriends, vaginas, sex. Yeah. But I mean, well, I don't understand why you would have to make those decisions anyway. I mean, if it's even, a matter of even personal, if it were, yeah, even if, if it it's were, a matter it's of like, personal preference, I don't want to talk about it. Fine. But yeah. if you feel like you're restricted because you don't want to be that comic yeah no that's true too i think you can talk about anything once you get once you find your voice you can talk about boyfriends vaginas and sex and everything yeah, you know everyone has their own take i mean listen every comic like i was in the cell last night aziz ansari was getting up trying out new material and he, he was doubling down on the dirt but he was talking about relationships and he was talking about sex and it was interesting from his point of view i mean it's yeah. a driving thing in all yeah. of us so why a woman would feel like because look i i know that there's just some a different women, lens on us yes they some women must feel like they don't want to hear the oh, but I want to hear women talk about their periods. Like I've got a period fascination lately because I realize like it's a thing that yeah, I do none not of us, understand. None of us would talk about it forever because you couldn't. And I still don't talk about that. But um, yeah, but my cousin, she's 15. She blogged about how she hates the fact that she'll be with her friends and guys will be talking about taking shits and yeah, farting, yeah, yeah. whatever the fuck. And then she brings up her period and everybody shuts down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's been like that. That's a, I love that she's like blogging about it. I mean, there's also that whole thing of like now like the kind of younger generation with like the overshare culture. Like that's a whole nother thing. Like yes. Lena and, you know, like more power to them. They're, they're talking like, you know, and, and people are, the one thing that's really interesting to me is like the whole movement now of women talking about like, regretting having kids which to me is like the most fascinating because that that feels like the last 
frontier. Like, you know, I... Like the most mainstream thing being like bad moms, you mean? Not bad moms, but just the idea of like... So the show that I'm actually developing in the UK is comedic, but it's kind of like about that whole thing. Like our generation's the first generation that's like kind of had the privilege or luxury to even think if they wanted to have kids. Meanwhile, the planet's on fire. So like, should we... Like, it's just a very interesting topic that I haven't really seen mind. And Ali Wong's special, which was so great. Ali yeah, which is I haven't like, seen yet. It's great. And so, but she's seven months pregnant and she's like on stage. And then like, I have friends who are like on the street walking around breastfeeding their kids. And it's like... That to me is awesome and radical and fascinating. And also it makes you think like, holy shit, we live in a country that has like no social infrastructure for like working moms. We don't have paid leave. We don't have paid leave for dads. Like this is a huge part of like, you know, so many people's lives that we don't support. And so like, I don't know. I think that, um, and friends, our friend Jessica just had a baby, you know? Oh, yes. She's I better congratulate her. Yeah. <laughs> she was pregnant the last time I saw her. Yeah. I did not know she had that baby. Yeah, she had it. He's adorable. And so it's just that to me is really like interesting kind of seeing how this generation like Lena's next show about having babies, like what that's going to look like, you know? Is she doing that? No, I just made that up. <laughs> I just made it up. Um, yeah, hipster moms. But it's so interesting because that is like that topic. And well, cata- catastrophe is good too. Sharon. Cata- I love Sharon. Sharon's one of my favorite comedians and people. I love her so mm. much. So that's a good one too because it's kind of like, look, it's not, it's not all great. Yeah. It pay, you know, it pays off in the end. I think is the is the mess. I mean, I don't does know. Does it? I don't know, but it's a great. You have to that- tell yourself that having kids pays off, but does it? I don't know. Well, I can only go on the experience of nursing my father to his death and what mattered to him. No, no. I, I, by the way, I'm not like pulling out, well, my dad's death as like some sort of counter thing to that. But that was the moment where I understood what it was all about. But obviously now, because I don't have kids, but I'm looking at other people raise their kids, I can see how fucking difficult that is. I'm having a bit of a hindsight sort of respect for the shit that we put our parents through. Yeah. But, on, but I've also seen, you know, the later on and why it matters and all that. So, I, you know, I think the overall package is... Uh, is, is strong, but I also think particularly at our age and the fact that we're a generation that are watching people try to get that work-life balance more than the previous generation, yeah. I think it can seem like maybe it's not worth it. Yeah, it's interesting. But that's, you know, that that's a whole other discussion sure. about individualism. <laughs> it's, it's about gender, but it's also just about, you know, what matters and, you know, how, how important our careers are. And, like, you know, I, I think, well, certainly in women's case, the horrible thing about the patriarchy was they didn't even have to they didn't even have the discussion because it was just like, this is what we do. So I guess that's that's the challenge of our time. You know, the battle for equality plus the battle for what really matters. Two things, right? Mm-hmm. Will we figure them out today? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So American cunt, uh, another big topic that you talk about, like you, it's kind of part of the publicity is a lot of abortion jokes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't have too many in the show, but um, yeah, that is a I mean, I'm not even pro-choice. I'm actually pro-abortion. I I don't say that in the show, Um, but I do think like so many. Look, I am feeling the pool like I may have a kid at some point. I'm not I don't actually uh, think that like no one should have kids or anything, but I am looking around and like. You're looking at like global warming and like the problems of the next like 20 to 30 to 50 years. And so much, so many problems are just kind of like fighting for resources and like not being able to sustain as many people as we have on our planet. So I do think like, you know, for people who don't want to have kids, 
who are pregnant, my God, like, don't make them have kids, you know, like, on every level. I'm like, so, like, so beyond pro-choice, you know, like, um, and the fact that, you know, we are pro-birth, not pro-life in America, you know, like, people, like, will fight, I mean, and, and I did a Daily Show piece on this where there was, like, in, in, Alabama, they have lawyer. They assign lawyers to fetuses for pregnant teens who want abortions who don't have parental consent. They'll have a a lawyer put the teen on trial to defend the fetus. This is real, um, but then they won't take care of the kid after it's born. You know, like how does a fetus give a retainer? Oh, that our whole our whole piece was like you know um, when does it become like a client like from like confidentiality agreement? Yeah, yeah. And how do you know the fetus is innocent? What about a fetus who eats its twin in utero? Like we had all these jokes. Oh right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean the reason I ask is because you know it's a it's 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 a big issue in Ireland now. Yeah, I was as I was talking and I was watching your face. I'm like, oh right, yeah, it's a really big issue in Ireland. You're trying to read my face too much. I'm just listening to you. It's my no, listening no, your face. face is but I'm very, also thinking um, of like the follow-on questions and things. You know. Yeah, you know, you're like we're not having a normal conversation. No, I probably said a bunch of dumb things already. No, no, but what I mean is we're not having a normal conversation. We are recording it, so I have to. I think forget. About, I keep I have forgetting. To think of, I have to think about <laughs> keeping the conversation. That's why going. I hate doing. This is the East Village. That's why I hate doing podcasts because they're so disarming, and I keep forgetting. Like I just talk without thinking. But you've been fine so far. You've, you you right. haven't been particularly like unguarded or anything. Like you're fine. You know, saying you're not, I'm pro-abortion. You, <laughs> that's like that's fine the discussion is about abortion no i think it's important because it's a big issue in ireland like americans well certainly new yorkers in general this when this fucking asshole down on the street finally goes uh new yorkers in general are a lot looser talking about abortion which i for for an irish audience i think is kind of refreshing which yeah. is good because there's still a lot of tightness in ireland about it. i mean here's the thing nobody wants pregnant teens to have abortions nobody wants somebody to have to be put in a position where they have to make that choice, right? But we don't even talk about it. So it's like kids don't even know like how to have safe sex, how to not get pregnant. Like I'm not, like I joke about being pro-abortion, but I'm just like pro-autonomy. You want people to feel like they are making choices that will help them survive. You know what I mean? Like I, I and I am pro-life in that regard. You know what I mean? Like the fact that like a, like a child rape victim has to have the baby is crazy to yeah, me and, and and outlandish and like it you know even like uh, i should probably well a friend of mine <laughs> who just had a baby she's like part of me died you know and you're like you can't i was like you can't look at it like that you know you have to look at like obviously you're giving life to something but even like a self-actualized 40 year old woman still has like trauma from like giving birth and so like you know it isn't something to be taken lightly but i do think like Unfortunately, like, you know, Catholicism and a lot of religions have certain frameworks for like when life begins. Like, I think life begins at 40, but um, <laughs> sorry, it's too, it's too stupid. But I just, you know, I, I think like we, you know, if we don't want to talk about it, we're going to be forced to as we're fighting for resources in the next 20 years. Yeah, well, we're forced to talk about it in Ireland now because there's a big move towards having another referendum about repealing the Eighth Amendment. Yeah. I don't know. Have you seen like, I don't know. I've seen some stuff about it. Repeal the eighth stuff. But it's just, a, it's a big issue in Ireland. But it's difficult. Like for years, like I, I'm definitely pro-choice. I always have it. My mother's super Catholic. She raised me pro-choice, you know? And she's wa- she was watching mass this morning. 
Like I stayed in her place last night and when I woke up, she was watching mass, but she's pro-choice and she's fine with that, you know, but it's not as easy in Ireland to be pro-choice, particularly for some of my mothers. It's not easy here. I'm like in a New York bubble, but it's not easy here either. Yeah. So, I mean, the conversation is happening in Ireland. I mean, for me personally, for years, I, I, I wouldn't talk. I wanted, I mean, I talked about it a few times, but in general, I wouldn't because it, it is a major taboo. Like in a New York comedy club, people will make abortion jokes. Some of them good, some of them not great. You know, some of them just for shock value and some of them actually quite challenging. But in Ireland, very little. Yeah. I mean, I understand where that comes from, too. The, the fear of the... Well, it's like, you know, just you know, like Catholic and Protestant religion. Well, no, I mean, it's really more... Yeah, I mean, it's really more the... In Ireland, particularly, is the power that the church had. Yeah. That is, to a degree, largely gone in terms of... Uh, but it's still... How the... it controls society, but it's, it's, it's in people. Yeah. They don't... They, they actually, I, very liberal people, but when it comes to abortion, there's just... It just... For Irish people, it feels more wrong. Yeah. For 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 whatever reason. And like I respect that, but at the same time I want to have more discussions about it. Yeah. But it's hard to get to the bottom of it. I know. I had a um when I was in Galway years ago visiting a boyfriend who was like working at a youth hostel, we had a condom break and I was like totally convinced that like some like pharmacist poked a hole in the condom <laughs> or something. And then we were like thank goodness everything was fine, but I just remember being in Ireland and being like there's no plan B. Well, you can get the morning after pill in Ireland. But not then. Not oh, really? in 2005. Oh, no, you definitely could. <laughs> I couldn't. You could get the Where morning I was. After, you have to go to the doctor and get a prescription. Yeah, but it's not like over the counter or anything. No, no, no. No, sorry, you have to go to the... You can go to a clinic or you can go to the doctor. Yeah, I was in Galway. Giving away a bit about myself there when I was like, oh, no, 2005. <laughs> you definitely could get the I morning I just remember after. being like, fuck. Yes. Yeah, well, that that's definitely. But no, you can you can get the morning after, but you have to go to a you have to go to like a clinic, like a yeah. There's places that you can go. Um, yeah. But a month later, you have to go to the UK. That's the. Oh. I mean, that's the great hypocrisy in Ireland that everybody, like everybody on both sides of the argument knows the reality is that you're not really voting to not yeah. have abortion. I mean, that's you're just a bigger to stop pushing it over to another. That's country. like the bigger thing that like when you just like, it's like, regardless of what you think, there are like frameworks that actually work, you know, like you're not going to stop women from having abortions. You're just going to stop them from like having getting infections and dying. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, how pro-life are you? Like, let's look at the stats and like kind of, I mean, I think, California, I wanted to do a daily show piece on this, but then I ended up like John left and I left and I had all these pieces, these ideas for pieces that we just never made. But one of the most interesting ones was like looking at different states, legal frameworks for like public health. And California was like the only state that actually has like a research based approach to like public health and women's health. And it's based on like statistics and science and studies. and, And that's how they that's like their framework versus like in Alabama. It's just kind of like like make-believe you know what i mean and it's like even if you are like and that will be a great moment when we get to the point of like you know like the people who are personally like have personal beliefs but understand that like you know if you really are pro-life and you care about women's lives as well as like the lives of unborn clumps of cells (laughs) sorry i can't even say like any but it's like then you know then maybe we can create policies that are like more nuanced or like that are less like black and white. Yeah. I mean, but you, you see that in relation to abortion. You see that in relation to drug policy. Yeah. Like no, commonly the common sense approaches are avoided because people can't take 
the fact that it's not black and white. It's like a super gray area. Yeah, you get in Utah, they're giving homeless people houses and they're lowering tax dollars. Like, the cost that they spend on, like, you know, police having to you know, deal with homeless. Like, it's, like, actually... Yeah, I mean, the only countries that feel like they're close to doing that are, like, Sweden, Switzerland, like, the Nordic countries. They yeah. seem pretty progressive on all those. Yeah, uh, but so so that's always... Uh, but, you know, but that, I guess, that just has a lot to do with people just can't palette it for whatever reason. I know, reason. but that goes back to the idea of, like, politics versus, like, populism and transparency. You know, like, if you... Somebody, I... And, like, it's... You're tr- I'm trusting that, like, Hillary understands, like, nuance. You know what I mean? So, like... Maybe we don't have to, maybe everything doesn't have to be transparent, but you elect a leader that you think, and I, and maybe she doesn't, but like, hopefully people who understand, like, like you're putting trust in people to make those nuanced decisions that like, we don't necessarily have to know every single, you know, detail about or something. I'm maybe not articulating it, but like, um, just of like when everything is transparent and becomes open, then it also gets distilled down to like these kind of like base arguments and like then people become like polarized. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely think part of the, the you're prob- going to edit this, right? Like you're editing the podcast or you just, yeah, is it one long it, stream? You, are you worried about what you just said? You I'm just, not, I'm actually not. I'm just like, it's long, you know? No, they're usually an hour. Oh, and I'll okay. tell you exactly how long we've been doing. 54 minutes. Oh. Let's bang on because I was going to ask you two more quick things, one which I planned oh. to ask and one which I thought about while we were chatting. Okay, I was trying to bring it back to the whole idea of like... Oh, you did that really well. Timing-wise, it wasn't too far off, actually. Oh, cool. Timing-wise, it wasn't far off. Uh, I can't remember what I was going to say, but there's one thing I thought about, which is just for a bit of fun, that I thought about right when we started talking about abortion. Um, but you are talking about the thing about kids and like how difficult it is. Have you ever thought about how enticing the concept of like uh, just picking a partner and being like shared parent, like deciding to have a child with somebody that you know, but you're not like in a relationship with. Are you propositioning me? (laughs) The joke is like, have you ever thought about it? But uh, no, but you said something earlier because I have. And I, I was just curious to know if you had thought about it at all, because there's sometimes it's totally, I mean, I would love to like do like a mouth swab, like artificial womb scenario with like a, compound of like like-minded hippies to raise the kid or whatever you know <laughs> i'm like talking about like dystopian future yeah i mean i'm not i'm i'm 33 i have like five years to figure it out eight you know it's it's not it's weird it's like a weird i think eggs a- after 35 just kind of go down the tube so yeah well i talked about it once with my i have a uh, a first cousin who is, uh, you know, a lesbian. Is that what you say? <laughs> I don't even know the language. But she's yeah. in a lesbian relationship. And they, they, you know, they talk about having kids. And I, I said, listen, if you're going to have a kid, let me be the sperm donor to your partner. Yeah, because then, then it's the you, best got, you of can both check worlds. off the box. Yeah, but you've got a genetic connection to the child, which yeah. often in, in uh, you know, in a same-sex partnership, you don't have that. One person has no genetic connection. Yeah, whereas w- in this case... I'm not having a kid with my cousin, but my cousin is the parent, right? Yeah. So that was one that I that thought. That would of. be great. That's yeah, a great, be great idea. great for me because then I just have to show up like Uncle Des, but I actually have yeah. spread the seed. My, my, my mission as a human is complete. Do you have any nieces or nephews at all? Or I have two nephews. Yeah. And then I have a, a cousin who's like my niece. That's okay. the 15-year-old that I mentioned before. Oh, cool. Uh, but she's, she's really like my niece in that her mother is like my Irish sister, but that's oh, just because cool, I'm you know, cool. Irish. Cool, but then a number of times with certain friends, including one relatively serious conversation, it does seem 
like a great scenario where you go, okay, look, let's have a kid and we're just straight up sharing it. We're not living together, but like three days a week, four days a week, we're sharing, give each other our space, work out the schedules. Like it does seem like yeah. a great scenario, but I'm sure it's not. I mean, but. kids want stability, right? So it might be a little tough for them. Yeah, but it's not about the kid. Yeah, right? <laughs> No, I know. A, it's not about the kid until Such you have a, the like kid. Such a millennial. Yeah. I'm sure if there's parents listening, which there are many, they're going, he's a fucking idiot. He hasn't a clue. Yeah. And that's fine. I mean, I'm just putting it out there, honestly, for a bit of, for a bit of fun. But, yeah. No, I wish I were a But guy. have you thought about it yourself? I wish I were a man. <laughs> oh, you wish you were a man. Yeah. I wish I also was like cool with adoption and maybe it's someday I will be. But just the idea that like this little thing doesn't like have your brain, it scares me a little bit. You know, I've seen too many Lifetime movies, but... um. Yeah, no, I've I've definitely thought about like co-parenting or whatever, like not too much. I, I think this is all going in that the show that I'm working developing is called Last Eggs. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that. Yeah, but it's not about me. It's just about our generation and men and women dealing with this issue in like a totally droll kind of funny way. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about it at the moment. Uh, it's so crazy because also even if, like, I don't know. I just, my parents were so selfless with me that if I, if I, I'm going to be a parent, like you, you really have to just be ready. And I feel like I won't be ready till I'm like 50, like to really just like. Yeah. But I think <laughs> most people say that they thought they wouldn't be ready, but then something changes. Like it's kind of hormonal. I know. And it's also like, it's friend, the past couple of years, friends of mine have like really started having kids and like really telling me about it. And just like the sacrifices, like. Mm for women like it's not on any level equal like you like for the first three months at least like you have this thing that's like completely dependent physically on your body like you have to wake up like every couple hours and breastfeed and then like sometimes they don't take and so like i've had friends who've had to give their kids like tongue operations so that they'll breastfeed or like peep friends who've had like totally infected like there's so much like horrible medical stuff that goes and then like a friend of mine and i talk about this in the show very briefly but just she when I asked her how it went giving birth went and she was like he almost gave me a vaginus and I didn't even know that that was a term but a child a can vaginus a, ta- a child can oh like split down the to make it all the one kids can do that and none of us know this because nobody talks about pregnancy and child but it's like a really dangerous and risky and crazy procedure or thing that like you know women like what 30% of women used to die or something from childbirth really? We should fact check that. But it was like a large number, you know? And so it's like the physical toll on your body and then the hormonal stuff. It's like, and then to have a partner who's like cool with you through that whole process and then to like still want to f- sleep with each other after you have this like selfish crying thing that's just like with you till it's 18. Like it just seems like it's really, really tough. Well, I talked to a plastic surgeon the other day and he told me that the number one plastic surgery treatment now is... uh vaginal reconstruction that's crazy to me and a whole separate issue i think nikki glazer actually talks about that yeah but it's true it's the it's the most popular thing now that breaks my heart i don't know how that's possible but it breaks my heart because of porn and women just feeling so insecure well actually the funny thing is you think it's that but he said mostly it's people in their 40s and 50s and it's really just to get back to you know that that you know, because they've had kids and stuff and they just want it back to like nicer. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's the interesting thing is like, I didn't know much about it, but so I, I thought it was like a porn thing and, you know, more body image stuff. I mean, that has to be some of it, but I guess, I mean, I guess it's also because 
you know, people are more liberated too, like 40, 50 year old women, maybe they're divorced. They're just not out of the game. They want to still be in the game. So they just want to feel more confident. I don't know. But basically all I know is that it's the most popular thing. The rest is just guesswork from me. But, but doing the labioplasty isn't going to make you tighter. Oh, they, no, they get, they get the whole, <laughs> he explained it. I mean, he's kind of a crude guy, but, uh, you, you stick a thing. It's like a laser thing. You stick it up there and then it does a thing and it just, Tightens the way he it described it, he does. He say he tightens that pussy right up. That, that, that's a quote unquote. That's exactly wow, how he described that's it. That's interesting. Yeah, the sort of cold language of a doctor that's done too many things, like just tighten that pussy right up. Yeah, that's the so way he's he like the leading it. pussy tightener doctor. Yeah, I mean, you know, listen, whatever. I'll interview him someday. <laughs> You're like could. blushing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, that's the number one thing. Interesting. So the last thing I'll ask you about, I mean, we're done now. I don't even need to ask you about this, but I'll ask just in case. Just in the very quick bit of research I did uh, before chatting to you, I thought that was a very interesting thing that you were comparing the, uh, your own sense of being older as a woman to the fall of the American empire. Oh, oh yeah. No, when I was doing the Edinburgh show, like, you know how Edinburgh shows have these like kind of hokey, like, yeah, like hooks and stuff. Yeah. So I was like thematically, I kind of thought, and I talk about it in the, in the show, but just I like looking at America like a woman on like the tail end of her global supremacy. I don't really talk about that so much in the show, but I like it, the idea of it being a subtext like Statue of Liberty, aging, you know, the poster. I'll give you one if you want. I have too many, but I have a poster. And when we designed it, I was like, I want to look like an aging Statue of Liberty. Yeah, because it, it's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, like the Schumer sketch, The Last Fuckable Day was a good, uh, you know, a, a good take on that. But do you think that it's possible that through through fighting for equality that there might be, you know, like that people might begin to just appreciate older women? Older women I hope for so. what they are. And- I hope people look at laugh lines as like a sexy thing. I mean, I don't know. I do think we are biologically hardwired to like disseminate our seeds. You guys are your seeds in like, you know, young nubile. I don't know, like yeah. sociobiology bullshit. But it would be great if, look, I, I see it in younger generations of guys, like guys in their 20s, like for some, for whatever reason, like they really like me and I'm like kind of like a scary like person and like I've I've had more success. With younger guys? Yeah. And I never thought I would, but so many of my friends, women in their 30s are dating guys in their 20s. Really? Because they're just more woke. <laughs> more woke? Yeah. What does that mean? They're just more enlightened. The younger guys are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or maybe they just know that a woman who knows what she's doing is going to be better at it. Maybe. Perhaps. Yeah. But I would love it if, and I, I do think it's changing generationally. Like I, I do think like, and we're seeing it with Trump and like uh, certain men I've worked for, uh, men in their 60s and older, that generation kind of doesn't see women on the same level as like men and even like right. their Men whose moms were feminists versus men whose All moms right. weren't. So you so you can you can see a difference. Yeah. There's hope. Yeah. Lovely. What a positive way to finish up. To end on hope, yeah. Hope and change. Getting some young guy action bonus. Double Aww. bonus. Yeah. I'm down with that. Listen, I'm I've done that on the other side. Mm-hmm. The flip way. Oh, older women. But do you find guys are stimulating enough, like in terms of conversation and stuff when they're ten years younger than you? I've never been with anyone 10 years younger than me. Oh, just a little bit younger. Yeah. Just guys in their 20s. I'm 33, so anybody over like 25. Oh. Yeah. I did that for a while too, but you know, as you get older, that 
that desire stays the same. No, I think um, it depends on the person, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually met in New York. I know men in their 40s who are bigger babies than, you know, other than men I've met in their 20s. Mm. New York keeps people kind of like. Yes, Peter Pan's. Yeah. So I think age, I don't think you can tie maturity to age, especially when dealing with comedians, you know. <laughs> <laughs> male so. comedians every now and then on this podcast get a get a not so great uh analysis yeah i stopped dating comics a little while ago yeah i don't know yeah I've, n- I've never been a fan of dating comics anyway yeah well there aren't too many of us to choose from but, but. shared co-parenting on the <laughs> other hand <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> that'll be the next podcast all right. Thank you so cool, much, Jenna. Thank you. I- I'll do all the all the stuff at the end promoting the show. Oh, thanks. Thank you. So thanks very much to Jenna. Uh, you can find Jenna at various social media guises. And you can also see her new special, American Cunt, which comes out on CISO uh, October 20-something. Should have checked. Very unprofessional of me. Uh, I will tweet it anyway. Um... Thanks very much for listening. Uh, I will be back next week with a chat with Mo Amir, a Palestinian, uh, Kuwaiti-born Palestinian comedian who uh, immigrated to the United States in his youth. Uh, And I've been gigging with him recently in the cellar. And he's a super funny guy and uh, very interesting. Well, actually, when I say very interesting, I'm dying to find out more about him because uh, I I think there's a lot. Uh, to uncover so I look forward to chatting with him and uh, I look forward to seeing you guys uh, or sorry being with you guys again as soon as possible by the way I also have some sort of random stuff that's been hanging around including a podcast that I did on my own uh, after Aiden Aiden's recording had a problem but then I bumped into Godfrey so I might put that up midweek it's just me rambling in my car on my own and then I also have an hour of myself and Annie Letterman just being dirty. So I don't know when I'll put those up, but I'll put them up as sort of bonus podcasts. Um, uh, so let me know uh, on Twitter at Des Bishop, Facebook.com forward slash Des Bishop. Uh, my Snapchat is Des Buffer. My Instagram is at Des Bishop. Let me know uh, how you feel about all that random stuff. Would you prefer just... You know, every now and then, just short 15-minute podcast where I just talk on my own. Let me get some feedback, guys. And thank you so much for uh, all the five-star reviews on iTunes. Keep them coming. Uh, They're always great. And uh, yes, enough from me. We will see you again soon. Thank you so much. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.